0: I'd like you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 10. We're looking at verses 7 through 18 this morning. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but they measure them, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, They're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only within regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So through these first ten chapters, Paul has established his credentials kind of set his level of authority. He's been an encouragement to the church. Uh, He's lifted them up. He's reminded them of his teaching. He's taken them back to basics a couple of times and is now turning his sights on his accusers. There are these people in the church that are leveling these accusations against Paul, that he's not really an apostle He can't possibly be an apostle. He's suffered too much. He's been through too much. And he doesn't even look very good. He's short. He's got a squeaky voice. How can somebody like that be an apostle? And these teachers have infiltrated the church. Maybe they rose up within the church. uh, But they're causing a lot of bitterness. They're causing division. They're causing uh, a lot of tension. There's already some tension in the church. uh, Because Paul has promised to come to them a couple times. And he hasn't been able to make it. He's had to send them a corrective, and and now this is another corrective letter, so there's some tension already, and these people that have infiltrated the church are kind of stirring the pot. They're making things worse, so, and in in Paul's absence, as these guys rise up and they go look at him, you know, that this is going on and that's going on, the people in their anger, some of them are going, yeah, you're right, he's not very tall, he doesn't have a very good speaking voice. And we haven't seen him in a long time. So in, in, in verses 1 through 7 of Second Corinthians 10, we saw Paul defend his ministry. We saw him come in and defend the church and found out that Paul's defense against all of these things was the gospel. It was the word of God. It was the truth of God. And he's just reminding the Corinthians about what they've heard and what they've seen. So in today's passage, Paul's going to continue his assault on the accusers. He's now turned his attention from encouraging the church and reminding them of who he was to his accusers. He's going to turn, watch what he does, because he turns their complaints into blessings. He's kind of been doing that for a while. You know, he started out with saying, well, yeah, I've suffered a lot. That's kind of evidence of my apostolic calling. Christ calls us to suffer, not the good times, um, the fact that you know that I'm suffering is actually my testimony. It's my witness. So Paul's going to continue to kind of turn the tables on them, and he's going to rely on Jesus Christ and on the Word of God as his primary defense. Now, this is going to be important in understanding how Paul kind of meets out his response to these people in that he's going to respond to them in a Christ-like way. Our sermon today is our measure part 2 we did part 2 part 1 uh, 2 weeks ago this is part 15 of our series in second corinthians i am content and let me start out with this the environment that we live in today is filled with self affirmation we need to understand that our souls our spirits long for affirmation we long for approval we long for love we long for acceptance and one of the things that we measure these things by is, is how popular we are, how well liked we are. So we hear things like, I've got a thousand followers on Twitter, I must be popular. I, I put a post up the other day and I got 2,000 likes and so did you see how many likes I got? And so we, we measure our popularity by how generally we are accepted by the people around us. This is the only culture that has ever existed in the history of the world that has people that are famous just for being famous. They have no talent. They don't do anything. They were on some reality show and made idiots out of themselves, and now everybody wants to know what they're wearing and what they're eating and who they're hanging around with. This process of self-affirmation is so ingrained in us and has become amplified by the fact that we have all of this data floating around, and all of these ways to communicate with each other, and ways to call attention to ourselves, that we kind of eat it up. You know, I've never in my life been tempted, as I have been recently, to put a picture of my lunch up on the website. I say, look, I had this hamburger. And then I'm affirmed in my choice of a hamburger for lunch because 30 people like it. And I said, I'm a very wise chooser of food. 30 people agree with me that this is a great hamburger. Now I got to go agree with them on something. So that's the environment we're in. We're in an environment of self-affirmation. Our souls cry out for love. They cry out for attention. They cry out for affirmation, and we are desperate enough for it that we will turn just about anywhere to get it. And that's what our passage today is about. Paul wants to convey to us a universal truth about our relationship with Jesus Christ. that's a relationship that if we have submitted to him, if we understand that he's the only son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and we have repented and gone to him, and he has given us eternal life, it's the only relationship that really matters in our life. Not that the others aren't important, but this one is of crucial importance. It's the only relationship that can bring us freedom. It's the only relationship that can bring us peace. And it's the only relationship that can really, truly help us navigate the turbulent waters of this fallen world that we've been placed in. So, the title of my sermon today, with a nod towards John and Paul, not the apostles, but the Beatles, a passing nod, is all you need is love. God's love is all you need. Paul's going to roll this universal truth out in five steps these five steps are designed to put on display his growing desire to conform to the measure of Christ now we we need to understand this about Paul you'll see this as we go through Paul's never bragging on himself he's always pointing towards Christ and he's always pointing towards Christ in such a manner that he says if you don't know what to do follow me because I'm following Christ so it's not Paul elevating himself it's Paul trying to Point people towards Christ, so what he 's going to show us is that the only affirmation that we need is god 's affirmation, and if we see god 's affirmation, then that will supply all that we need here 's the five steps he 's going to take first of all he 's going to lay out his complaint now we 're not going to go through the passage linearly because that 's not how it 's constructed, but paul 's complaint is going to appear in verse seven eight the first half of seven, and in verse ten we 'll go from his complaint to paul 's composure how he handles the complaint in 7b through 9 and then verse 11 and then we'll look at Paul's comparison and how he navigates these things as opposed to how his accusers are navigating him. that's in verses 12 through 13 and that will lead to Paul's Corinthian desire what he wants most of all for the Corinthian church that he's writing to, verses 14 and 15. And that will lead right into Paul's consuming desire. What drives Paul? What motivates him to go forward? That's in verses 16 through 18. So let's take a look at his complaint. It's a good place to start. Verses 7a and 10. Paul starts out by, look what is before your eyes. Now, we need to understand what he's saying here. The word look is an imperative. It's kind of like a commandment. It comes from the Greek word blepete, really what Paul is trying to do is say, consider the evidence. Look at the facts. Look deeply at what's going on around you. Don't look just at the surface. The NIV is a bit more clear in this passage than the ESV. I've given you a copy of the passage in the NIV in your, in your bulletin, so you can follow along. I would suggest, just for the sake of understanding how translations work, you put these side by side sometime later on this afternoon and see that they say the same thing. They're, they're not in contradicting each other. They say the same thing. They work the same way. They just say it differently and, and see that the Holy Spirit uses all translations to bring glory to God, to draw people unto God. But uh, in the NIV, I think things are a little bit more clear. Uh, the NIV said it's a little bit more of an accusation, but it says the same thing. It says, you're, you're judging by appearances. You're judging by the way things look. Now, Paul's complaint is not just about what these accusers are saying. It's what the Corinthian church is receiving. It's what they're believing. He wants them to accept God's truth. He wants them to accept the things that they know. He wants them to accept the deeper teaching. He wants them to accept a truth that unites. He wants them to see a truth that sets free, not a truth that divides and creates tension. So, he says, in and, and, and verse 10, he, he kind of defines the complaint. He says, for they say, his accusers, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. They're running around saying, look at him. Does he look like an apostle to you? Listen to him. He's got this high, squeaky voice. Paul was a short guy. As near as we can tell, he was 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, Probably weighed all of 90 pounds soaking wet. And and from what we understand, he, he didn't have a real commanding voice. What Paul had was passion. What Paul had was the Holy Spirit. What Paul had was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. So his teaching was powerful, but he didn't look very formidable. And that's what the accusers are saying here. Now, we all know that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, right? But we've all, and we've all learned that lesson. You know, I read a lot of study resources. I read a lot of novels. I, I hardly ever have picked up a book that I thought the cover looked really good and the book was really good. Uh, but we have, we have practical experience in this as well. We, we, we all know how this works. I was in Kansas City a couple of years ago. One of the guys that I was at a conference with said, hey, I know this great place for barbecue. It's been on TV. It's got fantastic stuff. We all hop in a car. We drive a half an hour. We pull up to this shack. And I thought, oh, I'll bet I'll be surprised when I get inside if this place is on TV. I get inside, it's worse. You know, all the tables are a different color. There's vinyl chairs there with the, the vinyls cracked. It wasn't all that clean. There's a guy standing behind a counter, a wooden counter, that's been used as a chopping block. It looks like it's about 150 years old. I can see bacteria all over the place. You know, and the guy says, what do you want? I said, well, I don't know. What do you got? He goes, ribs. I said, what else you got? That's it. They're one of the most fantastic ribs I've ever had. If I had judged the barbecue place by the way it looked, I would never have gone in and had them. I lived through it, so the bacteria couldn't have been too bad. But, I mean, we have practical experience in what Paul's trying to put on display here. So, he he says, the accusers are trying to do to Paul what I almost did with that rib place. Don't evaluate it by what you see on the surface. Evaluate it by what you know. Look a little bit deeper. This is Paul's complaint. Now, a lot of people would be offended by what these people were saying about him. It would be very easy for Paul to get angry and start lashing out, start striking back at them, getting his pound of flesh. But Paul chooses not to be abusive. He chooses not to be argumentative. He chooses, he makes a conscious decision to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. He understands the scripture. He wrote it. that said we should be leading gentle and silent lives. And so Paul's going to walk this out. Now, it doesn't mean, as we're going to see, that Paul becomes a doormat. It doesn't mean that Paul is going to go passive and just let people roll over them. But what it does mean is that he's going to respond in a godly manner. He's going to respond in a manner that is a reflection of Jesus Christ. He's trying to measure up to the measure of Jesus Christ, the comparison of Jesus Christ. So look what he says. And this is Paul's second step. And in Paul's second step in putting on display how he's, he has this growing desire to measure up to Christ, he has composure. The second step is composure. Look what is before your eyes in verse 7. 7b is, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Well, saying they're saying they're from Jesus Christ. Well, I am too. And there's kind of a wink and a nod going, you know that. You know who I am. You know I'm from Christ. And then he says, for even, in verse 8, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority... Paul says, I know, I know, I know I talk about authority a lot. I I know I mention it frequently. The authority that the Lord gave me, but let me tell you why I have the authority, because I don't think that these accusers are exercising their authority in the same manner, but the Lord gave me this authority for the building up of the church, not for the destroying of it. And the implication is that the way these accusers are wielding their authority is they're doing damage to the church. They're hurting the church. There's this division, there's tension. Those are not the fruits of the Spirit. So, uh, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul's not going to apologize for the authority he has. He's just not going to wield it like a hammer. Paul's ministry is the gospel of salvation, It's the gospel of peace. It's not a gospel of judgment. And Paul's ministry has been effective at Corinth. The reason the church is there is because Paul came to Corinth to preach the gospel. He'd been chased all through Macedonia, all through Athens. Now he's down in southern Greece, and he's doing what he does. Every time he gets chased out of a town, every time he gets bounced out, what does he do? He goes to the next town, and he starts preaching the gospel. Never has a lot of converts behind them, but there's always a few. God always deals with a remnant. So now Paul is in Corinth, which is at the crossroads of the world. Uh, almost 75% of all the world's goods go through Corinth. It's on this little narrow isthmus uh, between the Aegean Sea and uh, the, the ocean between Italy and Greece. And it's the only safe passage. They had to bring their boats to one side of the isthmus and dragged the boats three miles across the isthmus and put them back in the bay so they could travel on safely to Rome. So he establishes the gospel here in a crossroads for the entire earth, and they know that he was the one who brought it to them. So he says, I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. I know what they're saying. And he's referring to his calling as an apostle, He's referring to his calling as a Christian, and his calling is to mediate the Spirit. It's to bring them to the Spirit. It's to take them deeper into the knowledge of the character and nature of God, to allow them to be touched and moved by the Holy Spirit. His calling is to be a mediator for the Spirit, not to intimidate, not to judge, not to belittle, and not to, in the heat of of, of the battle to lose his control. So he remains composed. He remains calm. He knows that anger begets anger. I mean, isn't that a scriptural principle? Isn't that a practical principle? I mean, when's the last time you got in a heated argument with somebody and you just went over the top and lost control And they looked and go, oh, I didn't understand how sincere you were. You're absolutely right. The matter we get, what happens? The matter the the people around us get. Love begets love. Patience begets patience. I went to get my car fixed the other day. And the guy that took care of me was a young guy. I think he was brand new. And uh, he was trying to impress me and Kelly with how efficient he was. Well, we went to pick up the car and it was broke. It wouldn't start. So I, I, I walked in, and, and, and you know, I, I'm on my way. while they're going to get a piece of my mind. And, and then I'm thinking, oh, I'm supposed to preach on being like Christ tomorrow. Maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. So I walked in, and the Dad's going to, I put the key down, and he looked at me. and went, ah, what's up? And I said, car won't start. Oh, well, it checked out. I said, it's not starting. It, 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 it's bone dead. And he got flustered. He got flustered, and I, I you know, my reaction, and you, you guys know me, I'm a strong personality, my reaction was, well, let's get it fixed, I don't have to come back here again and do this, and I, and I, I thought, well, let, let me put Paul's lesson to practice here, and I went, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, I'm going to leave the key with you, get it fixed, give us a call when it's done, it'll be all right, probably loose cable or something like that, okay, he immediately calmed down. Okay? That could have gone totally different if I had followed my instincts and did what I wanted to do. So, Paul is saying, this takes a little bit of concentration. We've got to act contrary to our nature. You don't have to get angry. You can respond in gentleness. So, he, he said, Paul understands that anger begets anger, but he wants to leave a caution here. Uh, and he says in verse 11, let such a person as these accusers understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. They had said, oh, he's a big man when he's writing a letter. He's not so big when he's standing in front of you, is he? Paul said, well, we'll wait and see. When I get there, I'll confront them face to face. I'll take care of it. I'll sit down with them. So even as Paul remains composed in the way he responds to these accusations, even as he remains in control of his emotions and allows the spirit of Christ to dominate the proceedings rather than how he feels about it, He's kind of setting the Corinthians up for this profound lesson on how to be the body of Christ. And he starts setting them up by refusing to enter the fray, refusing to get into the argument, refusing to point fingers the way his accusers are pointing fingers. Now, we can learn a lot from Paul here. Paul's main goal, is to portray the gospel. Paul's main goal is to portray Jesus Christ. And Paul's not going to allow anything to distract from that. Now, we know that from Paul's writings, but let's just think about what it means and, and what it might mean in, in our day. Paul, Paul is not going to allow the issue of who's wrong and who's right to interfere with his portray of the gospel. He's not going to make an argument about about who's got this correct, and who's making a mistake. Paul is not going to allow a personal attack to destroy his testimony. Paul wants to talk about Jesus Christ. These people have attacked him personally. Look what they're doing. He's short and he sounds funny. You know, he's a big man when he's not around here, but when he's here, he's kind of meek. And and So Paul's not going to allow the personal attack to uh, detract from what he has to say about the Word of God. Paul's not going to allow anger to get in the way. Paul's not going to allow self-righteousness to get in the way. He doesn't have to assert himself. He doesn't have to make sure that everybody understands that he's the one that's in charge. He's the one who's more godly. He's the one who understands more Scripture. Paul's not going to get worked up over what the folks in the church are worked up over. Now, this is really important. So, and and it's kind of two-faced here. Number one, Paul's not going to try to get people on his side. Paul's not going to go in there and stir the pot himself. But even more importantly, as we go back to the environment that we're in and all this data that's coming at us and all these talking heads on TV and the stuff that we read in the papers and so on and so forth, all of which is designed to get us worked up. Paul's saying, I'm not going to fall victim to that. I'm not going to start choosing sides. I'm not going to alienate the people that are on the other side of this issue for the sake of the gospel. My job is to portray Jesus Christ. My job is to present the gospel. My job is not to establish whose side is right and whose side is wrong. I know if I put the right words into this letter, if I say the right things, I can get the people that are on my side stirred up and angry over what's going on. And I'm not going to do that because that's not what this is about. So there are very specific things that Paul will not do in order to portray the truth of Christ. Still, he has this caution for the readers. And notice that as as Paul leads them through this situation, he's not only showing them how he is being conformed to Christ, by virtue of that, he's showing them how they can be conformed to Christ. So, step one was to view the facts, look at what's really going on on, uh, underneath the service, not just what's happening on top of the service, look at how things are, not how they look. Step two was to be composed, uh, to reflect Christ, to keep calm. And step three, in, in Paul's putting on display, his growing desire to uh, measure up to Christ conforming to the measure of Christ step three is this comparison now that's what they've been doing Paul's going to do it a little bit differently and that's in verse 12 and 13 not that we dare he says to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commanding themselves because I'm not going to I'm not going to compare myself to them that's what they're doing to me they're commending themselves I'm, I'm not going to get into this But when they measure themselves, watch what he does, by one another and compare themselves to one another, they are without understanding. So, watch. He's been building the Corinthian church up. You people know better. You people know me. You've seen the impact of my ministry. You know that I'm a messenger of God. These guys over here are comparing themselves to each other. And what that shows is they lack understanding. They're competing with each other, aren't they? They're comparing themselves with each other. And in particular, they're comparing themselves with Paul and coming out on the top. According to the way they see things, they look pretty favorable compared to Paul. And Paul says, that just shows a lack of understanding. That just shows nothing more than a lack of maturity. They've made this direct uh, accusation against Paul and his apostolic authority, and they're saying he's not really an apostle, an apostle. But his his accusers, in doing that, show a lack of maturity. They don't really understand what was been taught. They don't really understand the truth of God. They don't really understand the priority of the gospel. They're just kids. What they do understand is feeling good about themselves. What they do understand is that their need for self-affirmation, for asserting themselves, what they do understand is reminding other people of their status, reminding other people of their power and authority, comparing themselves to people that they believe to be a bunch of losers. we got to get this Paul out of the way. He's holding the church back. We could do great things if we didn't have him. They understand grabbing for power. They understand wanting influence. They understand a need to be heard. What they really understand, brothers and sisters, is how to put themselves on display rather than Jesus Christ. They want the attention. They want the affirmation. They want more people to like their page. Paul refuses to get involved. But Paul is an apostle. And he has a responsibility to the church. He has a responsibility to his spiritual children. And he, he doesn't back away from that. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells them so. But we, will, we. it's the royal we, will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go any further than this. I'm just going to talk to the area of influence God has given me. And that's you. That's you, the Corinthian church. To reach even to you. Paul again reminds them who taught them. What they know. He reminds them that he was the first one to bring the gospel. That he's their spiritual father. That they got saved under Paul's teaching. That probably even the the ones who are accusing him got saved under Paul's teaching. Paul's got fruit in Corinth. He's telling them, look at it. Look at the fruit of the ministry of the gospel here in in, in Corinth. And now these accusers, the people that sat underneath my teaching, are claiming superiority over me. How did that happen? Bragging about their authority and their apostolic calling, boasting about how much better than Paul they are. You see what Paul just did? He just did his own type of comparison here. He said, look at what they're boasting about. Now, listen carefully to this. Paul's not condemning boasting because he's already boasted about Jesus Christ. He will boast more about Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying there's anything wrong with boasting. He's saying what's wrong is what they're boasting about. They're boasting about themselves and all we really have to boast for. I mean, we were singing it all morning, weren't we? Boast in Jesus Christ, boasting God. Whenever Paul boasts, he boasts of God. He boasts of God's work in him. He boasts of God's transforming power in him, of the Spirit moving in him. He boasts about the gospel. He boasts about Jesus Christ. He boasts about God's grace. And whenever he boasts, he boasts to the glory of God. That's kind of hard for us to get our, our arms around sometimes. Because we're not used to that type of boasting. See, that's, that's a dilemma of his accusers. Everything that they're doing is about them. Everything they're doing is to call attention to themselves. They want power. They want recognition. They want affirmation. They want somebody to love them. They're just doing everything they can to bring this in. And we can relate to that, can't we? I want recognition, don't you? I want affirmation, don't you? I want to be acknowledged, don't you? I I, I want that. My, My problem is, and I think that's the problem that they're struggling with, is I think if I get that stuff, I'm going to be satisfied. I think if I get just enough likes on my Facebook page, I'll be happy. You know, I remember the first day I put up a posting that I got 15 likes. I thought I was the most famous person on Facebook. When I got to 15, I wanted 25. At 25, I wanted 100. Got got 100, I wanted 1,000. I mean, we think these things are going to make us happy, and they don't. All they ever do is lead us to want more. Take away the likes on Facebook. Think about the affirmation we look for. Think about the love we look for. If I could just get enough people to love me, then I'll be fine. So we start looking for these things in any place other than God, and we end up unsatisfied. We end up frustrated. We end up looking for more. Why? Because our focus is on ourselves. We're trying to satisfy ourselves. We're trying to complete ourselves, and we can't do that. That's what's going on here. It's the dilemma of the world we we, we live in today. Everything around us tells us that our life is about us. It's about what we can accumulate, uh, what our our rights are, what our privileges are, what might happen if, if we're denied something that we want. We should be able to have whatever we want. It warns us about somebody trying to take our stuff somebody trying to take advantage of us and and deprive us of something, warns us about somebody hurting us. All the world does is encourage us to turn our focus on ourselves. It's in all the ads you've ever read. It's in most of the newspaper articles and the news articles. It's about us. It's about me being happy, about me being satisfied, about me asserting myself. about turning our focus on ourselves and not on God and thinking that somehow we're going to be happy with that. Make ourselves comfortable. Make ourselves happy. Make ourselves complete. Make ourselves successful. Our highest priority is ourselves and not God. Paul's just turning that upside down. All that really does is cause us to seek more approval and more of what we were after and turn farther away from God. Now Paul Paul doesn't want to overstep his bounds. he doesn't want to go too far, but he wants wants the Corinthians to know that they are within the limits of his authority, that God is going to hold Paul responsible for the church in Corinth. He wants to know that not only does he have authority over the church, but he loves the church, and this, this authority and love has been given to him by God. And these immature interlopers who lack understanding are causing the church harm. They're causing it to divide. That's not what Paul went, wants. Paul doesn't seek to dominate the church. He's not there to control the church. He loves it. He wants to see the church grow. He wants to see the church healthy and well. He wants to stretch them, he wants to challenge them, he wants to take them deeper, but he wants to do it in an order to strengthen the church. And he wants them to avoid these senseless comparisons that are happening. And all that leads us to step four, which is Paul's Corinthian desire. What does he really want for the Corinthian church? It's there in verses 14 and 15. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, he said, I'm really not stepping too far. I reached you, didn't I? I got there. You heard the message. For we who are the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. That's kind of what the accusers are doing. Paul's done the foundational work. Now they're going to come in and cash in on it. But our hope, listen, is that as your faith increases, this is Paul's hope, that they will grow in their faith. That they'll grow in their understanding of, of, of God and His Word. That they'll grow in their knowledge of His character and His nature. And that as they grow closer and closer to God, they will go closer and closer to each other and express the unity that they're supposed to express, uh, being the body of Christ. So, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Now, Paul's not saying I want to have more influence in the church. What he's saying is that as you grow in your faith, and the area of influence that you have as a church will spread beyond the church building and out into Corinth and down those those highways and those trade routes and on those ships and the gospel will be carried away from here. He wants them to grow in their faith and their understanding of God so that they can be better messengers of the gospel. And we know that's true as we look at step five, which is God, Paul's consuming desire. He has a desire for the Corinthian church to grow. But here's why. So that, verse 16, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. He wants them to carry the gospel everywhere they go without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. And he finishes with, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, and transitions right into his primary teaching point. Verse 18, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is not about these guys that are bragging about who they are, comparing themselves to me. He said, they missed the point don't compare themselves to me. They'll compare themselves to Jesus Christ. You can do that. Watch what they're doing. Listen to what they're saying. How does that compare to what you know about Jesus Christ? How is the, the schism that's is developed in the church compared to the unity that we have in Christ? How is their bluster and their braggadocio compared to being humble in nature and leading quiet, silent lives? You know these things. The commendation that they're looking for is not going to satisfy them. The more you commend them, the more you follow them, the more they're going to want you to commend them and follow them. The only important commendation comes from our Father in Heaven. Now we'll return that in just a second. But I want to look at what Paul just did here. Because there's a profound teaching for us in all this. First, Paul voices complaint. What does that tell us? You know what? It's okay to complain. It's okay to complain. I I mean, we all have a complaint, don't we? If you don't have a complaint, God bless you. (laughs) Okay, but we all have something that gets under our skin. Paul's very clear about it. This kind of gets under my skin. But it's not the fact that Paul has a complaint that is the issue here. It's how he handles it. It's how he addresses the complaint. He's trying to say, look, it's okay to have a complaint. What matters is how you approach the complaint, how you deal with the complaint in your life. And, and he says, once again, just watch what I do. Watch what I do. I'm doing all I can to follow Christ, and I think you'll be okay if you follow me. So, so how do we handle the complaint? With composure, with a godly response to the complaint in our life, without getting angry, without boiling over the top without making accusations of our own, without allowing our emotions to control the moment, but allowing the Spirit of God to control the moment. And as we walk in that composure, we're very careful about who we compare ourselves to. Because if we're not, we can start comparing ourselves to the people around us, and the complaint will get worse. I mean, isn't that how we all look here on Sunday morning? We all look fantastic to each other. You people all look fantastic to me. And I wonder how you can look so fantastic, and my life is so messed up. The funny thing about it is each one of you are wondering the same thing. So if I start comparing myself to you, I'm going to end up either on the short end of the stick and start worrying about why my life isn't as full as yours, or even worse, I can end up going, well, I'm doing pretty good compared to them. I got my act together. Neither one of those is good. So who do we compare ourselves to? Paul says the measure is Jesus Christ. And we have an easy way to measure that. How much grace and mercy is flowing from us? How much understanding do we have? We've received much. Are we vessels of what we've received? We have to be careful who we compare ourselves to. And that, that leads to Paul's desire, our desire, our desire for each other, our desire for ourselves. But even more importantly, our desire for each other is that we might grow in the faith, that we might grow in our trust in God, that we might grow in our unity with each other. Okay? And, and see, and what that does is that leads to our consuming desire. And our consuming desire, brothers and sisters, is not ourselves, is not our welfare, is not how we're doing. Our consuming desire is to be the gospel, is to portray Jesus Christ to the world, to influence the people around us so that they can be changed, so that they can influence the people around them and then be changed, and so on and so forth. And Paul's just using Corinth as a focal point for this. And it all starts out with, where do we get our affirmation? Where do we get the love that our hearts cry out for? Where do we get the hunger that our soul has for recognition? We can try and get it from the world, in which case we're going to end up frustrated and disappointed, or we can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, I will receive my affirmation from you alone, Father. When we have the temerity to do that, we get drawn closer to him. We're strengthened in our faith. And the gospel of grace begins to flow through us. Liberally and freely, we become messengers of the love of Christ. Apostles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your transforming power. We thank you, Father, for the presence of your Spirit in us, for those who have called upon you as Savior and Lord. We thank you that you've enabled us to walk in that calling, Father. Give us strength. Give us commitment, Lord. Our spirits are strong, but our flesh is sometimes weak, Father. Pray that you would gird about us, your spirit, Father, that we might walk confidently in the manner that we're calling. Father, that we might turn to no other foundation in our life than that of Jesus Christ, that he might become our cornerstone, Father, the rock that we stand on. In Jesus' name, amen.